Hello to our listeners and welcome to TNT ESQ. Along with my co-host Teresa Quinlan, I'm Rhys Thomas. We make up TNT. For those of you who don't know, TNT is our initials. Simple, right? Uh, we're here to explode the status quo. This series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently so we can start doing differently. Today, we welcome Tanya Obeng, the communication doctor, passionate about helping leaders and business owners unlock their creativity and get back on their pathway to success. Her aim is to promote mindfulness and use psychodrama as a tool to help other people open up and tell their stories in an authentic way. Tanya loves to connect with people, uh, Reese and I both know this to be true, who have the same interest and want to acknowledge some of the communication issues within the workplace. Her approach is empowering, supportive, inspiring. And Tanya does this through life and career coaching, public speaking, mindfulness practices, and consulting, and probably 12 other ways that she goes about achieving greatness with other people. Welcome, Tanya. Oh, wow. What a That is just amazing. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, you are amazing. So you're deserving of the accolades and the introduction. Oh, you have to edit it down. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. That is nice. It's lovely to hear that back. I always find bios really hard. But yeah. Isn't yeah. it, right? But in true authentic nature of today's topic, speaking your truth, we have to put it out there. And when it's spoken for us, sort of ground ourselves in it with humility, of course, but no meekness. We don't, we don't have time for that kind of stuff. So let's kick it off. Passion and obsession often come from personal experiences, from what we want to have impact on, what's on our heart, what's on our mind. So share with us your passion, your obsession, what you've been thinking about, what you're working on, and perhaps where that started from for you. Okay, um, well, I'm gonna start off with talking about my passion because I've got many passions. Um, my first passion has always been dance. Because um, I started dancing from when I was seven years old, right through professionally up until the age of 28, but not from seven to 28. That was <laughs> that was from 18 to 28. Um, and then my passion became drama because I had a real major injury. And when I was 28, I pulled my Achilles tendon in a ballet class. And that was my career in one second, just kind of um, really just torn apart um, and I look back at my life actually and I feel that those times those trigger points and things that have gone would you could say things have gone wrong have actually been really good for me in terms of me bouncing back so when you go through something that's quite intense you have to bounce back you either you bounce back or you bounce off mm. so I had no intention of bouncing off because I've always so I thought about how do I bounce back from that so that's my main passion. My second passion is drama, hence why the psychodrama, because I got always, I did dance and drama at university and I always loved improvisation. That was my favorite. Um, and I started teaching. So after the dance career didn't work out for me, I went into um, training to become a teacher. Mm -hmm. And as I did that, 
I really enjoyed just working with young people and just seeing them evolve and just seeing their personalities come to life through drama, through the characters they're working through. And also, I could also see some of those children that were very sensitive and I saw them slowly come out of themselves because I was always very aware of those children in the class that didn't put their hands up because I recognised that child because that was me as a child. Um, funny enough, even though I was in a performance industry, as a younger child in primary school, I was one of those kids that wasn't very confident in terms of speaking out. I was always doodling. And that's my third passion, actually. Um, so from a young child, if anyone, if you look at my reports, they actually say, um, can Tanya stop doodling, you know, in class and pay more attention. Um, I remember doing this in the German lessons, a bit of a joke, really, because um, I did German GCSE and I can't, I think all I can remember is Guten Tag, and that's how much I was Googling, doodling, sorry, not Googling. Head of the game if you're Googling. Yeah, but art was one of my other subjects which I absolutely love. So I do love working and painting with acrylics. So I suppose anything that takes me to that place where I feel like I can escape and I feel the arts do that for me. Mm. So I get there through dance, through drama, through music. And as I look back at my life, I realize that that has been a coping mechanism for me. Yeah. It seems interesting that you would find the arts as an escape, whereas many might find the arts as an expression. Yes, it's both. As opposed to a repression or a suppression. Mm. 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 That is interesting you picked up on that because I did grow up in a family where I'm, I'm number six. So I come in a, it's probably hence my personality is so big because you have to shout louder to be yeah. seen and heard. Mm -hmm. um, and I also grew up with women. So I've got five sisters. And I always felt as a young person that I had to put myself forward, but I never felt like I was listened to or heard. So that's why I had to shout louder. Um, and, that, and there's this whole kind of hierarchy within West Indian families that you know, the elders take certain responsibility. And in terms of wisdom, it comes from the elders. So no matter what I do, I always felt like it was never good enough. Um, so that's why, hence the escape. And I feel that was also why I was a dancer well, because I was seen, but not heard, you know, because I wanted to be seen, but always felt like I wasn't heard. Um, and that was part of my journey. And I also feel looking back with my Achilles tendons and, and stopping dancing and pushing drama was about me finding my voice. So yeah, I, I kind of have got an explanation for parts of my life, but I think that's what self-development does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it takes you on that path, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story. There's lots of things that are coming up from there. And yeah, the, you made that connection that you, um, you know, you, you didn't feel comfortable speaking up or you found it difficult. And, and obviously you can have that association with, with dancing. You know, it's, you know, it's an expression. It's not, you know, you're not vocal. You're, I presume you're not <laughs> speaking and, and, and shouting while you're doing the dancing. So it's a way to be seen without having to, without having the need to be heard. So, and, and then juxtapose that against your, title uh communications doctor can you tell us a little bit about what happened obviously there was a there's a physical transition there with the injury but for you to go from quiet self-contained uh dancing expression but quiet voice to drama communications doctor uh teacher all of those things are kind of 
the other end of the scale. And I'd just be interested to know what it was or how you how you managed to you know cultivate that or uh, well, become I, a communication expert. <laughs> yeah, I know it's just, it is a real transition, and I think it, I do feel it goes back to school as well. Actually, even though you know, there's a transition there with my dancing, but I was also I told you the doodler at school, but I was also told that I was I was called dyslexic and I wasn't dyslexic. So the time that I was around, it wasn't like you had a diagnosis or a test, but I was told I was dyslexic and I believed I was. And that affected me in primary school and also in secondary school. So it, but it was really interesting because in secondary school, I was in top set and I remember being moved down from top set to middle set because again, it, the doodling thing. And, it, and I look back and I realise it wasn't because I was dyslexic now because I now I know I'm not dyslexic. It was actually because I would go into my own world and I felt that was part of being brought up in a big family because I didn't actually feel like I could connect. Um, I didn't feel like I was seen and I also felt like I was always shut out. So I remember just going into the, some of the doors in the house and being pushed out um, and then just finding my own space to kind of escape. So the whole kind of transition with that was when I was actually at college and I was doing, uh, actually I did an essay on the Supremes and it was about 1960s and them finding their voices. And I got an A for that essay and I sat quietly and I was like, wow, this is a bit, how comes I've got an A? And I remember going to see my tutor and I asked him um, what was wrong because I said, you know, there's no way this is right because I'm dyslexic. And he actually went and got me to have a test. And that's how I found out that I wasn't. And through college, I was starting to discover my voice. And I did discover my voice through doing drama. Hence why I did dance and drama. Um, and I feel it was my tutors that helped me to kind of find that voice and led me on that pathway. And also to just the whole realization of, actually, I'm all right, but there's nothing wrong with being dyslexic, nothing wrong with it at all. But as a child, I really, even now, connect with children who are dyslexic and connect with children who, are, who may be on the spectrum because I've had, this, I've had the experience because I had the label. Yeah. Isn't so that so powerful? How the label shifted you. Mm. The adoption of it, the integration of it into who you were. And you're like, well, if you're going to name me this, I guess I'll behave this way. I yeah. guess I'll then do whatever is expected under this sort of label or box that you're deciding to give me until someone says otherwise. So I'm curious in moments of solitude where, you know, being pushed out of rooms and kind of going, well, I guess I'll find my own space, which I just call solitude. <laughs> Hmm. And my person, so my personal evolution and finding of myself as a kid happened a lot in solitude, intentional. A lot of times I would pick to just go. I, I wasn't shoved out of rooms like you were um, <laughs> by my siblings. I mean, if they did normally, I was quite combative. So I would just push back. <laughs> I also wasn't the youngest. So that probably makes a difference. So I'm curious in your moments of solitude, did you have those times where you questioned, am I really dyslexic? 
I just believed it. I didn't question it at all. Um, and I think that was true as when I was in college, because otherwise, if I could, didn't understand why I got this grade, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is just too good. I, I'm, I'm more of a, C, a BC lady than a, an A lady. Um, so, yeah, so I did believe it. I truly believed everything that they'd said to me. And, and I was just in my own world a lot of time. A lot of people would describe me as a dreamer. And I think that hence that was the dancing, because that's the only time that I felt like I was totally at home with myself. And that's why I'm passionate about children and young people and, and people just in general finding their voice and not suppressing their voice, because the labels sometimes can affect you on that deep level. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay, a couple of questions. First, what what did you teach? Oh, I taught drama. I taught yeah, dance. Drama. Drama. Okay. But the for... funny thing was with, with me teaching, when I started teaching, because I trained with dance and drama, I actually got, my students got higher grades in my drama classes than they did in my dance classes. And you would think that my specialism would start. But that's quite interesting. I think that's how much I connected with drama with the kids because I'd use a lot of Grotowski work which is very much physical theatre so it's a mixture of using the physical theatre and helping them to adopt and understand the language in the way that I'd understand the language so that I found fascinating as a teacher just to see those grades generally because they look at your grades every every year to see how you do it so yeah okay so two parts this how did you then transition from being the teacher into you know the work you're doing now and, and how does that tie into, you, you, you know, casually dropped in the phrase psychodrama into what you do and you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't go back and ask, you know, could you tell us a little bit more about that? It sounds quite, uh, <laughs> quite intriguing. So what does that mean to you and, and your work and how did you transition from, you know, you dancer, teacher to, you know, superstar? Well, you know, I was thinking about this today, actually, because you answered that, thinking about those questions in terms of looking at my life. And I, there's permanent times I look at numerology. So... At 28, attendant, at 32, I had my children, and at 38, I lost both my parents. Um, and I feel that was the real shift for me because my mum, for the last 10 years of her life, she was experiencing dementia. And I was observing that as a young, you know, as a younger person, because I was in my 20s when she started going through all of that. And looking back, I really, understand now what she was going through but I wanted to understand why this woman who I saw as amazing who you know she set up her own catering company she she came you know over to this country when she was something like 19 she got married at 22 but without going into it I looked up up at my mum because I thought she was absolutely amazing and I saw this woman who was amazing deteriorate and I was observing that and I wanted to understand why and when she died I started looking at some of her, let's say journaling, because she used to write a lot of prayers. But as I looked at the prayers, within the prayers, for me, was almost like what she was feeling. And it was a lot of her journaling, because I journaled too. So as I started to see her writing and see what she was going through, I wanted to understand on a deeper level how this transition happened into her becoming, you know, having dementia. Um, and then also, as I started looking at um, figures, KB Komen, I was looking at the work of mental health. Um, and it was this guy's African-American psychologist. And I started looking at his work and I thought, wow, I'm understanding and connecting with my mum through this work. And then I started looking at the burnout and I started connecting with myself. Because when I was teaching, 
um, towards the end, I, was, I felt quite restricted. So coming from a performance background, when I was, also, as you could say, I was always a freelancer. Most people go into freelancing later, but when you're a dancer, you start off as a freelancer. So I was always finding my own work. And to go from always finding your work and always able to be creative, and then having to work in an institution where everything is restricted and what you're teaching is limited. And then within, for example, the dance GCSE, I had to teach Birdsong by Siobhan Davis. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going to be rude here, but it's so boring, you know? It's, it's, <laughs> I had to convince these teenagers that this was art. <laughs> and, and you don't believe in it yourself, you know? Um, so I, I just felt like I couldn't do that after a while. So I enjoyed the teaching aspect, like working with the children, but the aspect of actually limiting, limited me creatively because I wasn't able to you know, write my own stuff. I wasn't able to choreograph or all of the things that I love doing were limited by the curriculum. And as an artist, I think that is quite soul destroying. So hence why that transition happened for me. So I did actually go through the burnout when I look back at my behavior, I was starting to see that I went through certain things where I was exhausted, where I felt kind of deprived of my art and all that sorts of things internally. So yeah, so when you study um, the burnout, you, you start to see yourself. I started to thought, wow, this is really interesting. Um, this is me, but I was just so resilient. I got on with things just always got on with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just went a bit long with it there, but it's such a, it, is, it is a long story in terms of me finding myself. But part of it is through the trauma that I experienced with my mum and with myself and everything that I was going through um, that kind of helped me to feel that emotional connection and wanting to help others. Yeah. And I'm going to lean closer to the microphone on this one because really what I hear you saying is what brings you to today is that you took the time to explore the past and the time to reflect into it, into what are the lessons that I needed to learn so that today I can speak my truth. And before we hit the record button, you had talked about you're on a writing venture. So ooh, tell us all about this writing venture and how more of the push from the universe of Tanya, speak your truth, Tanya, speak your truth. Like the universe keeps telling you to do it and keeps giving you these signals. And it seems like you're paying attention. Oh God, no, I do. I do love the whole intuition thing. I do, you know, I do definitely respond to that um, through meditation and so forth. But yeah, with regards to the writing, I'm actually going to go away on the writing retreat and I've booked it and everything because I've looked, I've been writing for a while. I've been writing, this is, this is so embarrassing. I've been writing my book for about four years, right? And I remember giving it to a ghostwriter to have a look at. And it's huge, as you can imagine. <laughs> and when I took it apart, I started looking at it. And even the whole situation with, you know, the, with George Floyd, um, the Amy Cooper, um, when all of that stuff came out, Black Lives Matter, it really made me reflect on my life as a black woman. Um, and I started to realise, you know what? I, in some ways, have been desensitized for a long time, mm. where 
I have held back. So for example, you know, you've got the Mel, Mel Robbins always says the five second rule. That's natural for me as a black woman, because I'm always taking time to, well, not so much now, now I just speak my truth, but <laughs> there was a time that you think before you speak, you know? And I just realized that I've had so many experiences and I'm not really talking openly about some of those experiences in the book. I was just talking on a surface level. And I always tell, because I do podcasts, and I always tell my guest, I want to dive deep. And I felt like, you know what, Tanya? You need to dive deep with yourself. Because it's, it's easy to do that with your clients, even with the work that we do. It's easy to sit in that chair and allow them to go to that journey. But I feel that I'm not being truly authentic unless I dive deep myself and have a look at what my triggers are what my successes are, you know, all these sorts of things or, and what has affected me and what has affected me, I've just been silent about. So hence that will be the book when it, when it does come out, you know, with regards to communication doctor. And there's, there's lots of levels there with regards to my experiences of working with tutors, like for example, being called dyslexic, I do feel that there's a race card there as well when I go a little bit deeper with that because I was only black girl in the class. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots there without going, because that's, that's another podcast altogether. <laughs> but there's lots there. So I do want to speak my truth and I do want to be my real authentic person that I am. And um, without any apologies, I'm not apologizing for who I am, you no. know? Mm. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So <clears throat> you've talked about having to, you know, in the past you, 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 were, you were quiet, you, you didn't speak your truth. You had to think before you spoke, you were silent. And then as that evolved, you, you know, connected with that truth and you understood that that was where, you know, your real power came from. And that's how you can help serve your, your, you know, the, the, the kids you were teaching or the clients that you work with now or, or your family and friends. So you mentioned your podcast, Amazing podcast, everyone, real stories. Uh, I think we've both been on it. It's been a, it's a real joy sharing that space with you. But there's a new thing that you're doing, and it ties nicely to this idea of speaking from the truth, and you called it Savage Truth. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that and why Savage. You know, you've gone like from you know, no truth, a little bit of truth, speak my truth, Savage Truth. So <laughs> tell us about the evolution of that and, and, and the, this new project that you're working on. You know what, Reese? that's me all over. I think that's a creative in me. I am changeable. I, I'm, I, I own it. I own it. And um, if I've got a new idea, I've got to go with it. I'm one of those people. Um, so with regard to Savage Truth, that came about through a conversation with my co-host, Doug. Um, and Doug's kind of, a, I always say he's a natural comedian. And we were just, one day we were just chatting and we were just talking about unconscious bias. We were talking about George Floyd. And to point of view, we talk about everything. And we thought, you know what, why don't we do a web series? Because I've already got the YouTube channel and we actually were going to call it woke, something about being woke, becoming woke. That was the idea. And when we did the first episode with just us talking, Doug kept saying, God, we just got to get to the savage truth. And I love that word savage because it's so explicit. Mm -hmm. And I think that just in some ways describes where I want to go. Because um, I do think people hold back. And I do feel the reason we haven't moved forward as a nation 
is because we haven't come together as people and really said, you know, what I'm feeling. Black people haven't said to white people and white people haven't said to black people and Asian people haven't said. Everybody goes in their own divisive spaces and talks about what they're experiencing or how the stereotype, you know, comes across to them. But actually, when we talk from a real truthful place, I feel that's where the magic happens. And sometimes it's painful. Um, but you have to, I, I feel like me personally, I'm ready to have that conversation. I'm ready to tackle those sorts of things. So with the web series, we're looking not just at race, we're also looking at gender because my co-host is gay and he talks a lot about how he experiences stuff as a gay man. And we just look at all different levels of unconscious bias and being labeled and how a label affects everyone. So on purpose, we label our guests before they come on. And that causes, or that could cause, a bit of controversy or people who think, oh my God, I don't like that label. And we're doing it on purpose because for years people have been labeled. Today I talked about the BAME, the whole idea of BAME, the BAME thing, which is um, black, um, which is, what is it? What is it? I can't even remember because it's, it's not my label, it's a label that's been <laughs> connected, you know? So people of black and Asian minority, you know, that, that, is, that is the BAME culture and people keep saying it over and over again. And I, I'm just, I, I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of the labels. I don't think we're moving forward with another label. Um, and that's what we're talking about it because and that's why we're labeling people on purpose to let them see how does it feel to be labeled what's the other side of that and actually that is not who the person is that's the point of savage truth there's it's a power word like why call it that it, it, all of our words have meaning and the word savage has a very uh intense feeling mm. in using it and that forces the deep dive. When we use words of power and intensity, we use them intentionally, I believe, to force something much deeper to get to the source. Because if we can talk about surface all day long, nothing changes. Zero will change until we get to the source of what we're experiencing, what we're thinking, where it comes from, challenging that, challenging other people on their stuff. Then we get change that's where the opportunity lies. So until we're willing to be savage in our nature, then um, we'll live in the status quo. And around here, we're all about exploding the status quo. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love it. I love your passion when you mentioned savage. I just got excited there. <laughs> I got excited. I can't wait to listen. It's an incredible undertaking and venture. And you mentioned the word, uh, labeling word, and immediately I thought wasp, because that was a word that was very much around me when I was a kid as well. And I just thought, yeah, those labels so detrimental to our ability as a human race to really accomplish anything of significance, mm -hmm. <laughs> except maybe divide. <laughs> no totally I totally agree with you on that and we want to eliminate all of that and just we need to go back we need to go back and I'm saying like for a time where people didn't really see people there must have been at some stage where you just saw people as human you know and you like them because you like them you don't like them because you don't like them it's as simple as that and that liking them and disliking shouldn't have anything to do with their race their gender you know, or the, the so-called label. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just an, a, a replacement word, isn't it? It, it, it? it might be, you know, a more sanitized version of something that went before it. But in essence, it's just, as you said, a, a way of reinforcing a sort of separate separateness, which is really the, you know, counterproductive work that we're trying to do to to dissolve those boundaries and like you said when it comes down to just the truth there is there is no there is no difference between you and i you know, or trees or whoever it might be you know when we can get to that human level where we can get to that innate being we you know we have that connection there's no conditioned uh mm-hmm. believes in our you know like you said in your life you you have this label and so you believed it you, you had you, you hadn't you didn't even have any proof of it but it was so the person was in a position of authority or whatever it might be and so you just accepted it and it wasn't until you you did something brilliant and then you you, you even questioned it like uh, <laughs> i think you've got this wrong uh, i don't get a's i'm a c b c girl um but it was it was that uh, example of a sort of human conscious leadership that this uh, you, this guy took the time to to say no look you you've got great skills in this and and you probably still, <laughs> you still have a whole stack of all the negative things in your head compared to this one positive thing. And you needed uh, some kind of uh, formal signature or certification or some, some test to prove to you categorically that, you know, all those spoken things you'd heard could be uh, replaced by one kind of a, a test saying pass or fail or whatever it might be. But and again, you know, it's just another label that you, you, you've accepted on yourself. So I love that you, you have that premise for your show where, you purposefully give people a, you know, an experience of being uncomfortable or whatever it might be so that they can have that um, talk from a sort of honest, authentic place that they, you know, they can get to that unconscious bit consciously and then have that kind of conversation together in a kind of uh, uh, improvised scenario, whatever, you know, using the comedy, using the kind of the truth and, and getting right to the savageness of it. So um, I'm, I'm wondering we kind of get into that point where we talk, talk about sort of hashtag not anymore face where we try to sort of bring it all together. You've said so many amazing things today. You know, we talked about being de- desensitizing yourself, reconnecting to your authenticity, the importance of being able to speak your truth and being, you know, courageous enough to not give a damn about, you know, what is expected of you or living up to that persona that you, uh, you, you felt you've been lived into. Um, but there was something you said right at the start, which I think much might be really important for people listening. You said you either bounce back or you bounce off. And, and I wanted to know if there was, you know, some, some golden nugget, some words of wisdom that you could associate with that idea of how you can bounce back from what I assume was a pretty traumatic experience. Your whole life was dancing and suddenly it was taken away from you and, you know, snap of a tendon. And um, you, <laughs> no pun intended, probably couldn't bounce back too easily but yeah it would have been easy to bounce off or, <laughs> or limp off but you you had the fortitude to come back and you reinvented yourself and you've done it time and again and time and again mm. and you you're doing it now again with this new book um wh- what is it that you you said you've always been resilient but wh- what kind of golden nugget would you leave to our audience to help them who i'm sure many people at the moment are feeling in that same vulnerable position that same you know everything has been turned upside down and everything's going against them in a lot of uh, aspects of their lives at the moment. How can they bounce back rather than letting them easily bounce off? 
Well, there, there's two things there for me. Because um, one thing goes back to what I do in terms of unlocking your creativity. Because for me, um, creativity is healing. And when I say that, it sounds quite broad, but at the time that I lost both my parents, uh, I did a lot of artwork. So I was rediscovering that side of myself. And I hadn't really done that much in something like five or six years. So it was quite nice to revisit a talent of mine and without judgment as well. So I was able to paint and I was just like, whatever, whatever comes to me. So I wasn't doing anything like realism is whatever came to me, I would just paint. Um, and, it, and it's almost like going into that inner child and discovering what it is you used to love. And I do that a lot with my clients and I would suggest anybody that's going through anything um, to kind of explore the creative side of the self. The other thing for me that's really important is music. So I use music for every, everything. I get up in the morning, it's classical music. If I work out, it's drum and bass. So I've just got different types of music that I have on in the house sometimes. And for, for me, that's really healing. And then even this morning, it was Shauna Scoffery. I love Daisy goes, I love days like this, you know, um, just to lift my spirit. So sometimes music is just really powerful in terms of lifting my spirit. Coming back to that, um, you said that I, I've always been resilient. Resilience for me, I feel is survival. It was a survival place. I don't actually feel that is me as a human being. And I think people often say we have to be resilient. And it, it, I kind of hate it because when I look at it, resilience is sometimes I'm just surviving or I'm just going to, no matter what you push at me, I'm just going to keep going. But actually it's important sometimes to stop and to feel and to sit in that emotion, even if it is negative and explore it. And I feel that's where the real learning comes from. So, um, and what I'd like to say to people out there is, I suppose one of my messages is stop, if you are a people pleaser, stop doing it. I know, I know it's not that easy, but stop being a people pleaser and do what's in your heart. And when you do what's in your heart, you will feel free. So that's my kind of note for today. Perfect. Thank you. That's a, a wonderful message to, to, to leave our listeners with. So, um, okay. So right now, I know you told, you're talking about your book, you've got this new podcast, uh, or YouTube series, what, what's coming up for you in, in, in the next few months? Uh, what, what's on the horizon for Communications Doctor and whatever else? Well, it is, the book's not out no way near. I've got, I've got to do the editing. And <laughs> I've no, got no, yeah, two more years to get here. I hope you four more years, though. <laughs> <laughs> We're closer than four years. Yeah, yeah. I hope, no, I do. That's why I'm going to wrap it up. I am going to wrap it up. Um, and that is my aim so that is a that's a personal goal for me and it's great to say it on a podcast because yes. you know I can look back and I, if, if it's four years later you can call me out <laughs> <laughs> and say it's what happens to that book but yes yeah, so I do really want to get I'm not aiming probably for this year probably be more like next year in terms of it but I want to finish it wrap it up um, and I really want to get out of that. And I also, I just want to do more speaking as well. I do want to do more speaking. And I've been doing a lot of this stuff via Zoom, but I, I, I can't wait to get out there and connect with people and connect with audiences because I feed off audiences. It's really hard sometimes to do things on Zoom because you can't see people's laughter. You can't really see the eyes. You can't see the gestural movements. Um, and I just really love to kind of feed up an audience and 
it thrives me. I'm a sort of person who will run around on the stage, you know. Um, so I miss that. So I want to do more of that work. So hopefully, you know, we get through this COVID stage so we can get out there and have these big audiences again. That's what I, that's what I look forward to moving forward. Well, the benefit is when you're the speaker, you're separate from the audience anyway. <laughs> You'll be good. <laughs> the audience may need to be socially distanced from each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that, uh, Tanya. You, you really need to. It's fine, and the technology is a wonderful thing, and it allows us to reach much bigger audiences. And there are, you know, always new updates and things. But it, there's, there's nothing quite the same as being, you know, on the stage or in the same room with people, having feeling the energy. And you know, I'm sure that comes back to your performing days and, and dancing and stuff. So, um, you mentioned about connecting with people. How can people um, get in touch with you? How can they connect with you? How can they find out more about Tanya Obeng? Well, I am everywhere. I wasn't everywhere before. <laughs> I'm everywhere. So, um, first of all, it's communicationdoctor.co.uk. That's my website. I'm on Insta, Tanya Communication, um, Tanya Communication Doctors on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. I'm, you know, <laughs> I just, I'm not on TikTok, though. I need to get on TikTok. That's everything. <laughs> <laughs> that might be one you can, you know, not not venture into and you'll be okay <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i'm missing out though <laughs> i think i suffer from fomo isn't it fear of missing out <laughs> yeah <laughs> wait for the next one to come up yeah and just dive into that one um all right perfect so like we always like to finish the uh, conversation with a rapid fire q a so uh, a bit of fun to to finish with 10 statements two choices uh, interpret it as, as suits you whatever comes to mind or on your heart um, 10 questions, are you ready? Okay, go for it, go for it. This is the scary bit, I don't know what the questions are, but go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no need to be scared. Okay, number one, manager or leader? Leader. Number two, active or reactive? Definitely active. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number three. <laughs> I that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> number three, black and white. Or grey? Oh, I don't like grey and I don't like black and white. So I'm going to have to change that. Yeah. And, and put in all of the and rainbow. It's got to be rainbow. Okay. So, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> um, we always like a bit of uh, freedom of spirit here and the free will to, to choose some new things, apart from question five, which is extremely important. Um, question four, um, optimist or realist? Definitely optimist, because if I was a realist, but definitely optimist, because that's survival, I think. Yeah, totally. Which, may I also say, optimism as an emotional intelligence skill contributes to one's resiliency. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. True. yeah. Very true. Mm. Um, okay, number five, Canada or England? Oh, well, I've never been to Canada, so, I, you know, I have to say... I, I've, I've gone today, I've gone virtually, but I've never been to Canada. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard one, you know, that's a hard one. So it has to be, well, I've been to England. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> it is, yeah. Fantastic. All right, uh, then we can finish there. No, okay, we'll go on with the rest. Uh, number six, heart or head? Definitely heart. Mm. Number seven, empathy or assertiveness? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> that empathy. <laughs> oh, Number eight, introvert or extrovert? Well, I think that's definitely extrovert. 
Okay. Yeah. Number nine, logical or emotional? Definitely emotional. And number 10, innovation or process? Oh, I love the word innovation. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much for having a bit of fun with us at the end. And thank you so much for, you know, sharing so openly and vulnerably about, you know, your story, how you got to this place, uh, and also sharing some of the amazing work that you're doing at the moment and, and things on the horizons. Lovely. Thank you very much for having me on your show. It was really lovely to connect with you both. So I always like to say, Namaste, dividing me, he's dividing you both. Ah, uh, Namaste. Namaste. The best way for us to find out if we are giving you, our listener, the value of your time by helping you think differently so you can do differently is if you write a review and give a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on.